The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Nice to have you with me, as always. Whatever amount of time you can spend with me, I appreciate it very much. This is the E-Person Monday variant of The Doctor Is In. Doctor is in as a program which is co-produced by Ave Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, which is a whole bunch of stations, several hundred, not only here, but uh, in countries in the world. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I have to speak in the different, I have to record this. You guys don't understand. I have to record this show in multiple languages right after it. And then I do the same show in the various languages. Now, up to this point, the only language I can really do is Australian. So, for the most part, uh, I'm telling them that this show is called a talk about. Given that, we'll get to your e-persons shortly here. I was, this was many years ago, I embarked upon entering the Catholic Media Association's Humility Award. I dominated. I absolutely crushed uh, in the humility category. See, the Lord is slapping my mouth because he doesn't want me to say this. My poem that I used to win it was, I want to be famous so I can be humble about being famous. What good is my humility when I'm stuck in this obscurity? Now, that's the poem I won with. I I beat the other contestants, and there were several, and you might recognize some of their names, but I'm not going to tell you, because they showed up to the award ceremony. I didn't. You can't show up to the humility award ceremony. That's kind of self-promoting, isn't it? So I won by default. Because I didn't show up. Now, it has come to my attention that they have, they did this to Jim Thorpe because they found out that he played baseball, professional baseball. Well, not professional. He got paid for playing baseball one summer. And when he dominated the Olympics, and I forget what year that was that he dominated the Olympics in the decathlon, uh, they stripped him of his medals. Uh, he died a broken man. They stripped Jim Thorpe of his medals because they said, no, you have to be an amateur to be in the Olympics, and you were, however briefly, a professional. Sounds kind of cute now, doesn't it, given what goes on in the Olympics and professional sports? So they stripped me of the first two years. Why? Well, because they've warned me. 
you've spoken about your humility award. So we're going to take two of them from you. Keep it up, and we'll take more. Well, the National Catholic Register has uh, a nice article here about humility. Three myths about humility. It is often misunderstood. Some think it is synonymous with self-deprecation. Myth number one, the humble soul lacks confidence. Father Jared Johnson, pastor of associate pastor of Cathedral of the Holy Spirit in Bismarck. We have an affiliate in Bismarck, Redeemer Radio. I'm sorry, Redeemer, Real Presence Radio. Uh, he says, the most humble people out there, now he didn't mention my name, but okay, I'm going to let that slide, are some of the most confident and sometimes some of the most prideful people are the most insecure. I'll add more than sometimes. I'll say oftentimes. When you get somebody who's prideful with a superior demeanor, man, you you can almost guess that they got a lot of insecurities riddling their personality. True humility is, well, it is knowing that you are of infinite value. Now, this is me now. This is not Father. It is knowing that you are of, of infinite value because the God of the universe says so. Not because you say so. The God of the universe says so. Now, that's, that's true self-confidence. Myth number two, being humble is not attractive. Humility is not an attractive thing. You know, you get this, you get this picture of a mousy, kind of retreating, socially awkward person. You know that's not true. Because people that you would say are humble folks are very appealing, are they not? You like being around them. I use this example in my parenting talks. I'll say, if you go to the computer and you type in child and self-esteem, you're going to get, last I saw, well over 100 million options. Because the experts just believe that self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. You type in child and humility, you're going to get a fraction. But humility is at the very center of Christian virtues. False humility is not humility. False humility is attention-seeking. I remember, I've, I've, knew, I've known people who, who do this, that if somebody gives them a compliment, and I had one fellow do this all the time. He, he flung his hands straight upward. The glory is God's. Okay. I mean, I, I got that. I got that from, from a perspective of it all comes from God. Yes, the glory is God's. But I always sensed in him it was, I'm so humble that I, that I immediately bat away any kind of compliment. Could have just said, "Well, thank you," you know, or God gives me the ability. If you got an ability, you got an ability. Okay. The bottom line is, if you're a great chess player, you don't say, "All glory goes to God." No, you're a great chess player, so you thank God for giving you the ability, the mind, to play chess like that. I can't play chess. I played against my computer at level one, which is kindergarten, and I lost. So I had to pick. I had to pick a game that I could take the computer in. Kickboxing. Oh, yeah, I crushed. I crushed it. Kickboxing. 
And myth number three. Where is myth number three? <laughs> I, I, I don't like this myth. I, I think it's kind of alluding to me. Humble people want to be recognized as humble. See, humility is tricky stuff. It's the one virtue that if you think you have it, you don't. I had somebody write me after I had talked about winning the Humility Award. She said, you need to practice being more humble and not talk about your humility. (laughs) All I do is I wrote her back and I said, you did not sense my tongue digging into my cheek as I talked about winning the Humility Award? By the way, the people from Fairbanks, Alaska, when I was there some years ago, did give me the Humility Award plaque. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, there's... Boy, I don't know if... I don't have time. Oh. There, Mother Teresa, you know her, don't you? She, when she was head of the Missionaries of Charity, she kept a list of ways to cultivate humility for the sisters in her care. Oh, there's a bunch of them here. Oh, and I, I'm over 15. Yikes! All right, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to save these for a future program because I'm getting real close to the end of the manalog time. So this is Doctor Ray. When we return, we will humbly dive into your e persons. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. (laughs) EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 398 9399. That's 844 398 9399.
All right, I'll admit it. Nine-time defending champion. Catholic Radio's Renaissance man. Somebody wrote me an email. Well, okay, how, how do you write an email, huh? That doesn't make sense. Somebody sent me an email saying it's Renaissance, not Renaissance. I'm not making that up. It's true. I was corrected. And I said, I understand that, but I won it so many times that along about the fifth year, they, they changed the name. They changed it from Renaissance to Renaissance Man. E-Person Monday, my 42-year-old nephew has not had a job since his mom died two years ago. All right, I'll stop right there. Did he have jobs before that? And is this a lingering grieving process? What exactly is going on? Now, my guess would be that this is just the progression of a style that has been his as a as an adult which is erratic employment and interestingly enough since his mom died two years ago was he living with his mom and was she supporting him in many many ways because he was there and she was comfortable with him there, and it was a mutually satisfactory relationship. I don't know. I need to know all those things. His dad, my brother, died eight years ago. He does odd jobs for me and a few others. I've paid for much of his groceries, dog food, now, now that see to me that is an interesting addition. Obviously, he he's not working, but yet pets cost, so he's choosing to have a pet. Now, one might say, but he needs a pet for companionship. He needs a pet because he's a he's a a soul that is easily depressed or anxious or struggling socially. And I've paid his electric bill now for about 18 months. So this goes back to shortly after his mother's passing away. I cannot see, now this is still our writer talking, I cannot see having no electricity in this southern heat. They live in a southern area. He has more excuses than anyone. So apparently she's confronted him with saying... Why are you not working? You're 42 years old. Can you not get a job of some type? I've always showed compassion. I'm going to make a risky retort right here. Is it compassion to materially support someone who is capable with a little effort now i mean they may not think they're capable they may have as she points out all manner of excuses but is it compassion to do this i read somewhere 
where this person said, let him who does not work not eat. Who was that? Who was, who said? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's coming to me. Uh, Paul, a guy named Paul. Well, actually, St. Paul. Actually, in the gospel. Or not the gospels. In, in his epistles. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. So, I'm assuming that uh, Paul, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, was saying that if someone's freeloading. Now, obviously, they took care of the poor, and they took care of people who needed to eat and didn't have the ability. But Paul was referring to someone who, if you're not going to if you... In other words, I think he's saying, let him who does not want to work not eat. And I suspect that's what could be going on here. She says, I've always showed him compassion, but I'm wanting to give him a piece of my mind. Now, that sounds to me like she either hasn't told him she's tiring of this, or she's gone about it a roundabout way have you had any luck searching for a job when do you think you'll be able to well can you get counseling maybe so you can get over your anxiety about working uh is is there, are, is there you know, did you talk to your doctor did you maybe get some blood work so she was probably doing all kinds of things to get him on his feet and he was resisting all of them and she's saying i'm running out of compassion here well, that's not really. I again debating the word compassion. Give him a piece of my mind. Well, you can do that. You can express all your frustration, which has probably built up. I suspect it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I've seen on many occasions where someone, out of frustration, finally tells another person, "I'm not going to do this for you anymore." You're not helpful. You're not cooperative. You're not appreciative. I'm not doing it anymore. And the other person says, well, I, I can see your point. And I'm, I'm really glad you finally expressed those frustrating feelings to me. <clears throat> no. More often than not, far more often than not, they get upset. How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you bring up that perspective? So that's what I guess it would happen if she gives him a peace of mind. Now she says this. This is I think this is the key line in the e-person. I fear it will cause me to sin if I tell him my feelings. Well, obviously telling him your feelings is not a sin. Screaming at him and unloading it on him and telling him what a wasted human being he is. Yeah. You probably got you probably got a sinful approach in that style. But telling him what you're going to do, as in no longer support him, as in make him seek other ways to support himself, even if it's not a job, there's all kinds of public and private charitable programs that many people, kind of sadly, I don't think this is good for many, but they can live off them. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of benefits per year. They take advantage of them. So you're not leaving him destitute on the streets. But if you tell him, I've had it, in so many words, that's not a sin. 
That's saying, I've done this for you for 18 months. I'm done. I was waiting for you to get on your feet after your mother's passing, and you haven't. Now, here is the question you have to ask yourself, dear aunt. Are you helping him or hurting him? That's the question. It seems there's so much misguided Christian charity as though we must do this for people who are essentially drifting or are not wanting to be responsible adults. They have the ability, but we've become such a pathologized society that now pretty much anybody who says, I have anxiety, I have social struggles, I have this particular disorder that is usually a personality one, therefore I can't. I think that pulls a lot of Christians in. And then what happens is what happens here in this letter. You ultimately get very frustrated. And you start to wonder, am I really doing good by this person okie dokie let me see where my next one is real quickly I want to get to that where did I put it It it's on Thursday okay where right there oh here it is this dear lady wrote me a previous email talking about how she made a list from one of my suggestions in my simple steps simple steps not straps that's not good Simple steps to a stronger marriage. And one of them is make a list. And you write down all the things you love about your spouse, you like about your spouse, you admire about your spouse, your spouse's attributes. You write them down. Compose the list. Take as long as you need. And then you share it with your spouse. And she said that was unbelievable. They were having some rocky times in their marriage. And that just, that just brought them together in so many ways. Well, then she said this. I also tried step number 10. The touch. And I said, work on touching your spouse. Either a simple expression of affection, like a kiss on the cheek, or grab a hand, or put a hand on a shoulder. Just a touch. She says, it worked like a charm and is being reciprocated. Dr. Ray, like you said, simple steps to a stronger marriage are simple. We just need to do them. That's why in the book I spend so much time trying to get you past your resistance to doing them. The last two Sundays after church, my husband and I have been taking walks by the river. At times, and she's got a big exclamation point here with a smiley face with all hearts all over it, holding hands. Our marriage is in a good place. She says, if the relationship is important, so is the effort. Well, I'm glad, Kathy, that all worked so well for you. That's absolutely wonderful to hear. All right, I got about 30 sec- 20 seconds actually till the heartbreak comes. So 
Not heartbreak. Heartbreak. Now, I know you're thinking, well, Dr. Ray, it's kind of heartbreak if you have to go for a couple minutes. I, I, I got that. Part of my humility on that. Hard break, which means no negotiation. The music starts and I stop. So we will get to more of your e-persons when I come back. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The virtue of purity and holy chastity is certainly a very important thing, but I think we can misunderstand this beatitude. As human beings in our fallen state, we tend to love things and use people, but we're meant to use things and love people. We can manipulate in relationships and we can try to control other people and we can focus on other people as objects. But to be pure in heart is to be in love, and ultimately to be pure in heart and to be happy is to be in love with God himself as well. This beatitude calls us to have a focus on being open to choosing God, choosing life, to choose love. If God is not the ultimate end of our desires and our hopes and dreams, we will be the saddest of people. Let's say yes to God and choose his way, be focused on his love and pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. In the world of religion, what constitutes a promise? What constitutes a vow? How do they differ? The Catholic Catechism states that the Christian is called to make promises in a number of different ways, such as in baptism, confirmation, matrimony, and holy orders. A Christian may also make promises that are uniquely his own, such as promising to say certain prayers, give alms, or make a pilgrimage. Remaining faithful to a promise we make to God demonstrates the respect due him and his divine love. A vow is a deliberate and free act of devotion in which a Christian dedicates himself to God or promises God some good work. The Church recognizes as especially exemplary those who embrace the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Appreciate very much you joining me here on The Doctor Is In, doing my own stunt voices and discipline. No body doubles here. My producer man is Andrew Kruchek. This is E-Person Monday, the Monday general variant of The Doctor Is In. 
which comes to you Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. And I just appreciate all the wonderful affiliates out there who take the show. And it's very, very much appreciated. I've gotten a chance to get around to an awful lot of the affiliates and just wonderful people. And I'm not saying that to curry favor. It's the truth. These are great people, and they are doing marvelous stuff to spread the word of our Lord and his church. Hi, Dr. Ray. You know this is a female. I have a teenage daughter, senior in high school. Hasn't liked me for quite some time. I got to stop right there. Boy, I'm stopping a lot in these E-person. I can't believe that the level of hostility that I see and that is so apparent in so many parent-kid relationships, especially the teen year, is normal. And by that I mean, oh, whoa, it's normal for our time. I mean, if you want to call it normal being typical, I don't think it's normal as in good. But I do not believe that in human history, and maybe even in a lot of cultures around the world today, this idea that I don't like you, Mom, is adolescent standard? I don't think so. I think it's typical to our time and place, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think a lot of reasons is our children are extremely spoiled. And that's been going on for some generations now, but it's really peaking. But I'll, I don't have time to explain why I think that. I'll talk about it some other time. Let me go on with this. She hates my rules. Limited phone time, two hours a day. <laughs> that ain't limited, in my opinion. Plus, it, well, let me, let me go on with more of this. I'm, I'm going to bump up against a hard break on this because this is a rather detailed e-person. And she hates daily chores that take approximately five minutes. Now, you you see the picture that's forming here. This is a young lady who just doesn't want to cooperate at all. She's very angry at her mom. So my question is, is this a single mom? Where's dad? Is mom the one having to set all the rules and dad's allowing this? I see this a lot, by the way, and I don't know if this is the case here, but I do see this a lot. Where the dad wants to have a nice relationship with a teenager and the mom says, wait a minute, man, we got to set some rules here. We got to set some standards and the kids are bucking the standards and the dad is kind of like, yeah, he's sort of, he's kind of there. And every once in a while he steps in when, when he personally gets assaulted. Okay. She also currently isn't a fan of being raised a Catholic. And you know why that is, mom. Well, that's because she is blending your rules, your standards as a parent, which she sees as totally out of sync with the culture, as the source of why you're such a nutcake. Well, look at you, this this Catholic stuff, and I only get two hours a day on my phone, and you have rules. Oh, yuck, ew. All right. She doesn't want to go to church, although we make her. You know, I uh, let me jump in real quick here. I would not accept from her a disrespectful attitude at church. My guess would be she doesn't respond to anything. My guess would be she just simply 
drifts off, disconnects, doesn't partake at all in the Mass other than kneeling and sitting. So therefore, that's dis- that is enormously disrespectful to our Lord. Oh, but Dr. Ray, come on, if I enforce respect, she's just going to hate it even more. Well, sometimes you got to have your standard. Sometimes you got to say, I'm not going to let you treat God this way. God isn't going to actively do something about it because he, he gives you the free will, but I'm not going to allow it. And by that, I mean you're going to tie all her privileges to at least looking like she's going through the motions of cooperation. She has stopped any kind of prayers. She blames me for not believing in God because if there was a God, he wouldn't have given her to me to raise her. Mom, this young girl, now you haven't said this, but you're, you're telling me how hostile she is towards you, and, and yet you still give her a phone. Yet you still probably take her places. Yet you still probably do all kinds of things as a mom. You can love her, and you can communicate with her, but it sounds like she's still getting all kinds of perks and goodies, and I'll tell you what, that phone ain't helping you, in my opinion, if she's that hostile, but that's your decision. Uh, Let's see, 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 see. Uh, She has always been one to expect to get what she wants, and if she doesn't get it, she's beside herself. What? You can't afford it, she says. You don't care about me? All my other friends, yada, 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 yada. This has never bothered me, Dr. Ray, but since middle school, when she unfortunately lost all her best friends to girls just being mean, that was devastating. The entire grade turned against her. Well, uh, it's kind of hard for an entire grade to turn against you. But I guess my thought would be, uh, what, what is it about her that perhaps is involved in not getting along with these girls. So she transferred schools. She's not been a joy ever since. She does have a tough time fitting in because she was raised Catholic with a different set of values and principles. Pandemic didn't help. She currently has some decent friends, really has no friends with any kind of faith. The culture is venomous. She just wants to be left alone. It's, it's really unfolding like this young lady is a casualty of the culture. By that is, she looks at her parent. She looks at the culture. She says, I want to live that way. I don't want to live your way. And because you're trying to make me live your way, I can't stand you for it. I just, I can't tell you how many times I see this. I got a book, Mom, that might help you. It's called Raising Upright Kids in an Upside-Down World, Defying the Anti-Parent Culture. It's on my website. You can get it. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I really misread this. Okay, forgive me. This is dad writing. The The name was one that I just assumed was a mom, but it's not. It's a dad. Uh, where is it? Where is she? Um, where is it? She doesn't have, she doesn't want anything to do with her mom or me or her three other siblings. Okay, Uh, I'm going to get to some more of this. But again, the overall theme is hostile teenagers. Because you're not doing what they want, because they're stuck with you, because the culture is so much more appealing, and some kids are more vulnerable to this because of their temperament. I will finish up this letter on the other side. 
Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Parents in a town just 45 minutes outside of Dublin have banned together to enforce a smartphone ban for their children in elementary school. It was just the striking results of the rising anxiety, depression, and everything we noticed of having a mobile phone, especially among young children. And according to this article, the results have been extremely positive in terms of less anxiety among the children, closer bonds being formed with the families, more time spent together outside with kids playing and actually reading. I mean, this is such common sense. All too often, I think it's it's hard for parents and grandparents to resist, right? Well, mom and dad, everybody has one. It's really incredible, this simple effort of parents coming together and saying, you know what, we need to do something. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. Can you imagine receiving a phone call from your child's roommate while they are away at college telling you that your son or daughter had an accident and has been admitted to the emergency room, but they don't know anything more? In a panic, you call around the hospitals asking about your child. However, instead of being helped, you are told they cannot share information with you because of HIPAA privacy. You are terrified, worried sick for your child. How do you prevent this situation from happening to you? A healthcare durable power of attorney. This legal document will appoint you as their healthcare agent, granting you the rights to all information in an emergency and to make medical decisions on their behalf. As soon as you're able to, you need your child to sign these documents in order to prevent the nightmarish situation we've just discussed. They must be signed, stored, and easy to access so that you can have them at your fingertips the moment disaster strikes. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. I just want to tell you i used to work for a bunch of psychologists and i think you're one of my top five favorites in, whoa whoa in, wait uh, just top five thank you for joining me dr ray grandy here program doctors in e-person monday i had uh read about most of this e-person, uh, young lady, very hostile toward her parents. She's a teenage daughter, senior in high school. Incredibly hostile. Uh, I don't know if they're pondering college, but uh, my experience has been, and I can't make any prediction here, but my experience has been when you have very hostile teenagers like this because they're not getting what they want. I mean, if this were a farm in Illinois in 1875, you wouldn't be dealing with this because all the stuff that's now available to kids to have, and if they see their parents getting in the way of them having everything they want, they turn their hostility, their big guns on their parents. I mean, as I said in the very beginning of this e-person, I believe this is an unprecedented phenomenon in human history that teenagers... Now, there's a certain amount of independent angst, probably, that has always come with getting older. But teenagers now, can, there's such a level of hostility, anger toward their parents. My daughter worked local fast food place when she was in college. No, actually, no, she started when she was 16. And that's when this occurred. She had, I don't know, 14, 15 coworkers. She said to me, Daddy... Every single one of them 
trashes their parents. And we're not talking, I don't like the way my mom and dad do things. We're talking about my parents are psycho. My parents are weirdos. I can't wait to get away from my parents. The question would have to be asked, what is the common dynamic here? Now, these kids, for the most part, pretty much came from a comfortable materialistic area. All right, so this is Dad still talking. Um, <laughs> she says she thinks about me all the time because I never, and that's quotes, never leave her alone asking for her help and to do things that are helpful. In other words, don't make any requests of me. But, but Dad, you're, you're still looking back on the fact and there's nothing in your letter that indicates otherwise that the privileges that she has, she hasn't really earned. You, you don't get the privileges automatically in, in my approach to parenting. These are privileges to be earned. And they are earned by cooperation. They are earned by respect. They are earned by mature judgments commensurate with your age. You don't get these automatically because you're 16 and then we take some of them away because of the way you're acting. No, it's the other way around. I put consequences on her for not following my rules. I take her phone away, her car away. She's got a car? Okay, but it sounds like she's incredibly consistently uncooperative it's not a matter of oh yeah she had a little she had a little bit of an irate kind of emotional tantrum three weeks ago so we took her phone away for two days no that th this sounds like a pattern a style an overall approach uh, pa, 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 pa. so my question is at age 17 if she is an unwilling participant I need help in steering her back in the right direction what's your best advice uh, well, I'm just going to give you some generic ideas. I often tell parents when a kid is 17 years of age and acting like this and has been acting like this, as you said, since middle school, which is what, several years now, I suspect life is going to have to teach her. No, I can't predict that. I don't, I don't know your particular situation. This is a generic observation that life typically has to teach the child. I would be nervous about college, uh, especially sending her away. I mean, if she clearly doesn't want any part of God, doesn't want any part of you, doesn't want any part of cooperation, then can you imagine what she would be like in college, spending your money? Uh, that's something you've got to ponder. I can't tell you what to do there, but you got to ponder that. Um. If somebody says to me, you've got a 17-year-old out of control, if you try to reestablish your authority, now remember, there's three other siblings. Now, I'm assuming they're younger siblings, and I'm assuming that they're watching all this, and they're thinking, what is going on here? I guess when you get to be that age, you're allowed to be that way with mom and dad. Got to take that into account, too. That's a big one. You don't want to go through this again, do you? So at some point you say, you know, we've we've allowed 
stuff we shouldn't have allowed. What are we going to do about it? Now, is it too late? Uh, I can't predict that. I, I think it is likely to be too late if you're looking for an attitude change. You may get somewhat of a behavior change because she'll be acting in her best interest. She doesn't have a car. She doesn't have a phone if you decide that. And 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 I suspect, here's the other thing you got to watch, that she could react quite intensely to this. I mean, I've seen kids run away. I've seen them turn on their parents even more nastily. I, you know, so at this point, I know you said we've tried counseling and she wouldn't have any part of it. Okay, so that takes that option off the table. Her view is, there's nothing wrong with me. It's you people. So I... I guess I'm saying, Dad, you got to sit down with your wife and decide what things are we going to do differently at this point, which may not at all change our daughter's approach, but uh, the other kids are watching, and she will be 18 shortly here. Um, well, let's see, that came in relatively recently, so senior. Well, she got, what, nine more months. So, okay, just some thoughts. This is Dr. Ray. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. Can smelling certain scents improve our memories? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. When my wife and I had COVID in late 2020, we both lost our sense of taste and smell. In my case, I continued to have issues with my sniffer for a few months. Then I read a study that suggested smelling bold scents could help restore the connection between the nose and the brain. Sure enough, smelling fresh lemons every day seemed to help me recover. No wonder I love the aroma of lemons and incense. Another study, though, indicates that older folks who smelled fragrant essential oils got better sleep and improved memory and thinking. Brain scans confirm they got better. Be careful, though. Some essential oils can be harmful if inhaled over time. Always consult your doctor. Side note, from Genesis 2 to Revelation 18, there are more than 200 references to perfume, odor, and smell. For more on the study, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Thank you for joining me. Dr. Ray Garendi here. This uh, E-person reflects a lot of the differences in generations, but much more so, I believe, given the incredible numbers leaving the faith as young adults. This has become a main 
point of contention, if you will, against parents and their young adult offspring. My husband's 20-year-old daughter. Okay, now, because she didn't say ours, I'm going to assume uh, he's the biological father and she is stepmom. Catholic school educated K through 12. She's been living with her boyfriend for about two years now. Well, okay, let me stop right there. I'll do the math. Did she leave when she was 18? She basically saying, I'm out of here. I'm 18. I don't really like you as a stepmom, or I don't want you people giving me your rules. Just speculating. I don't know. She and her boyfriend want to stay with us when they come to our area. My husband wants to accommodate them. <coughs> Excuse me. Th- this is one of those scenarios where you've got the biological parent wanting to be more, quote-unquote, morally agreeable with the child, on their terms, that is, and the step-parent saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm trying to be a little more objective here. I, I see that a lot, this kind of difference in Discipline perspective or standard perspective or an expectations perspective between the biological parent and the step parent. Biological parent has the history. The biological parent says, you don't understand. This has been something that's been a struggle for her since her and her mother, since I and her mother broke up. Okay, so there are emotional complications. I initially told my husband that they cannot stay here unless they are married. He then wanted to pay for a hotel room for them, to which I also object. Now, I guess part of my question would be, how old was this daughter when stepmom came on the scene? This has been creating a tremendous degree of hostility toward me. Now, again, is this hostility from the 20-year-old or hostility from husband? So now my question is this, Dr. Ray. Is it a morally correct compromise to host them if they will agree to sleep in separate rooms? I'm not a theologian. I'm not a priest. But I would think that as long as they sleep in separate rooms, it would be similar to a boyfriend and girlfriend. And you're saying, I'm not going to cooperate with your live-in arrangement when you come here. That seems to be quite justifiable. My reasoning is that it would be better for them to stay with us if they agree to separate rooms rather than if they were to stay elsewhere, where they would definitely be sharing a bed. Seems reasonable. Seems very reasonable. I'm disappointed in my husband. Because if this is, and she puts a big capital is, a reasonable compromise, his reasons will be to please them and not to look bad. Well, my reasons are to find a moral and correct solution that might possibly bring this couple to an awareness of the immorality of their lifestyle. Well, I guess I would say this. Um, One, they're probably very aware that their lifestyle would be looked upon immorally by you, maybe your husband, or maybe people of 
believing faith, and I meaning and I'm not being redundant on that, believing in the sense of acting faith, but I don't think they care, obviously. This is not something where you're going to say, well, if I do this, it's going to make them realize what they're doing. I think the odds of that are so long. I think, I'm just guessing, but your husband has some worry about alienating his daughter. And he's looking at you like you don't understand. It's my daughter, etc. Whatever the historical dynamics are of that relationship. Uh-huh. My reasons are to find a moral and correct solution that might possibly bring this couple to an awareness. Okay. I am not always able to tune into your radio show, Dr. Ray. And would greatly appreciate it if you will respond by email. Well, I did send her a sentence or two response, but given the numbers of emails that I receive when when people request that, it's very kind of them to request that, but I can't do that. I typically say I can't respond via email to all the emails I receive. But I'm going to send her a notice, as I do with all folks, that I address this particular email on an e-person Monday. Okay, so... Given that, I'm sure there are parent and step-parent. Well, I'm not sure. I'm reasonably confident that there are parent and step-parent dynamics going on with all this. And this is just one of the ones that has come to the foreground. My question would also be, where is the husband in his own practicing of his faith. Now, if if the stepmom says, well, he he's a faithful man, then I would ask him, do you want to cooperate in this? I think it, my experience has been that in cases like this, it is the more often the biological parent who is afraid. They're afraid of creating a rift creating a, well, okay, if you're not going to let us do this, then we're not coming. Or, in the extreme, we're not coming ever again if you don't let us do this. I mean, I've seen that happen a lot. The question becomes, are you going to adhere to your morals and say, this is my home, don't want you doing this in my home, what you do in your private lives I can't control. Thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Ray Garendi. Good Lord permitting. I'll see you tomorrow, or I'll listen to you tomorrow. And please walk with God. Morally, faithfully, all ways you can think of. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.